Hello, welcome to Let God Speak. I am Uriah Segist. Some of the most fundamental human questions are, where does the universe come from? Why does it exist? Have you ever stopped and wondered, what is my purpose and what is the meaning of life? We are glad that you have joined us today. We will explore these deep questions as we discuss worshiping the Creator on Let God Speak. On our panel today, we have John Cosmeyer and Kylie Fisher. Welcome, John and Kylie. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this great opportunity to study your word today. Please be with us in the person of your Holy Spirit to teach and to guide us. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. A leading Australian university conducted a poll amongst biology students. And they found that in 1986, 60% of their biology students believed in creation and only 29% believed in evolution by 2017. Conversely, in 1986, only 25% of biology students believed in evolution. But by 2017, the number had grown to 62%. Kylie. Where does the Bible say the universe and the earth came from? Yeah, so what better place could we look than right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 verse 1. And we read there that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm not afraid to say that I'm an environmental scientist that does believe in creation. So I guess I'm one of that smaller percentage today. Um, but that's not just an Old Testament idea. It's in the New Testament as well. So if we turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, we see there, and these verses are talking about Christ, and it says, By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Fantastic. And that last verse introduces us not only to origin, but also the purpose of why things exist. So, John, uh, does God or knowing God as our creator, does it spare us from pain and suffering? No, not at all. In fact, when John the Revelator wrote uh, the book of Revelation, the Roman emperor Domitian, mm -hmm. <laughs> he was persecuting Christians everywhere. And so John, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 and I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island. That is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was persecuted. Mm -hmm. However, Verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. 
despite all the persecution that he was going through, he still was able to worship God wherever he went. Yes, great. And writing to the church who was also being persecuted at the time, they understanding that John was able to worship while being uh, persecuted, they too would have been encouraged by his experience. Yes. And when many today think of worship, they normally think of music or liturgy or maybe even preaching. Carly, what does the Bible tells us uh, biblical worship looks like? Yeah, so worship is uh, much broader than just being in a church or singing songs or things like that. It's not actually restricted to any singular experience. So um, there's many examples that we could look at in the Bible. It helps us, you know, to look at the different characters in the Bible. Um, the godly characters give us examples, um, uh, you know, that we can draw on. So I'm thinking of Job. And it says in Job that he was an upright man. He was one who feared God. And, you know, but Job suffered great personal tragedy. So as John was saying just before, just because we believe in God as our creator, it doesn't spare us from suffering. Um, but let's look at what was Job's response to that suffering. In Job 1 verse 20, it says, Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. So Job's experience of worship was that no matter what his circumstances were, he had an attitude of reverence. He prostrated himself before God. He bowed down. So worship is something that is really centered on God. It's not dependent on our circumstances. So worship allows us to recenter and refocus from our own mm. troubles and our own trials to focus on something else external from us. And yeah, there is God. that's right. Now, John, yeah. uh, it says that um, Job bowed down. He prostrated himself. Do we have to do that when we worship, when we, we are in a church or do we have to prostrate ourselves down our knees with our face to the, the ground when we worship? It is still the habit of some people to do that. But the Bible was written in changing times. And so when you come to the Apostle Paul, when they didn't go back to the sanctuary in Jerusalem because Christ had come and there was no longer any need for those kind of sacrifices. Here in, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, reading from verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we are now called upon to be a sacrifice for God. And it says, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. So now doing things for God all of a sudden becomes a worshipful act that we are doing this not for ourselves, not for others, but for God. And then it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's another translation that says, don't let it squeeze you into the mold of the world. And so we are now the ones who are becoming the sacrifice. And when God sees that what we're doing, he appreciates good things being done for him. Wonderful. So worship is not just about the external trappings, uh, but it's a conscious decision to live a life of surrender yes. uh, to God at all times. And of service for him. Wonderful. And staying with you, John. So 
we've been talking about worshiping God. Why do we need to worship God? Does he deserve our, our worship and our adoration? <laughs> While we're living here, we don't have a picture of what's really going to happen except what it says in God's word in Revelation chapter 4, going back to Revelation again, and verse 11, it says, the day will come when you, we will be able to say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. And we will then worship God in his presence, and we will see him as the, uh, as the creator. I'd like to read something that um, Angle Manuel Rodriguez wrote about worship. Worship has to do with the very nature and purpose of our existence and with the need for having a centre outside of ourselves that frees us from selfishness. Not to worship God is to lose our reason for existence. It is to exist in a state of disorientation and therefore to be dying, heading to total extinction because we are connected from the very source of life. We need to stay with the source of life who created us. That's really interesting, uh, mm. John. And Kylie, today we see that most of the scientific community and even the, the average person on the street accepts evolution as being true. And the thing about evolution, one of the consequences of evolution, it, it removes God as the source of life and the, the source of the universe. Did that take God by surprise? Did God know that evolution would be something that people would be believing? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, today, um, probably the same people that would um, accept the theory of evolution would sort of consider that the Bible is pretty old and archaic and they would see the theory of evolution and similar kinds of things as some new, more enlightened view. Um, but actually, when we look in the Bible, we find that this is just another version of the same old lies that Satan has been using for centuries and for thousands of years. So when we look in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, let's see what the Apostle Paul says there. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And yes, yeah, so when we look at nature, actually nature testifies to us of God. Um, but let's see what people did rather than recognizing the creative power that made nature, um, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, and Eve, um, when she took that fruit, she thought that that would make her wise. She thought that she could be actually wiser than God by disobeying him. And so, yeah, it's, it's really that, that same, that's, that's the root of the evolutionary theory to think that you're wiser than God and and you have more knowledge than God, and you don't really need God anymore. So Paul here in Romans is actually um, foretelling that this would happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, these verses in Romans 1, 20 to 22 actually speaks of empiricism um, because it says the things that are made or the creation, they attest to the invisible attributes of God, his creative mm -hmm. power. 
and um, they didn't recognize him as God and instead they became futile in their thoughts. Mm. So it tells us that um, belief in uh, theories like evolution, they're actually a spiritual problem, um, not just a, a problem of, of logic. Mm. And mm -hmm. you know, I read that Darwin himself started off as a theologian, uh, which is a Bible student. Um, he believed in God and he believed in creation, but it seemed academia took the best, best of, better part of him. Mm -hmm. So Kali, in, in what other ways does uh, evolution contradict the Bible? Yeah, so when we think about the theory of evolution, basically it sort of involves, you know, what's called simpler forms of life that we're now finding out they're extremely complex um, forms of life. Uh, you know, that have supposedly changed and transformed into uh, more complex forms of life. And it sees human beings sort of right at the end of this long line of development. Um, this really, as we were saying a little bit earlier on, you know, we were talking about purpose and really changes the purpose of humanity. So when we look at Genesis 1 verse 27, it says there, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Many people, um, I know, yeah, when I was studying science at university. Um, many people don't like this idea and they think that um, that's what's led to a lot of environmental destruction. But actually the way that I see it is that human beings, you know, everything in nature, when it was created originally, showed us God's character, but human beings above all had unique talents um, and but with talent comes responsibility to me. And so God here is making is placing them in um, a place of stewardship to care for the creation. And so um, but evolution just takes out the whole God basis and that whole sense of purpose. Okay. Yeah. And I like the idea that creation, the story of creation places man at the top, at you know, the apex mm. of creation, whereas evolution has you at, at, the, at the bottom. John, since God knew the theory of evolution would uh, come into being and it didn't take him by surprise, what is his solution? What is his remedy for that problem? He sent three angels recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse, starting with verse 6. And the first angel, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth. Hmm. And so God is calling us back to remember him not as a God of evolution, but as the creator God. He was the one that put everything into place. And so God gave a message, even sent an angel mm. in order to tell us to get ready. That is fantastic. Now, we are told that there are between 100 to 200 billion galaxies in, uh, in the universe, and our galaxy uh, has about 100 million stars, and there are 8 billion people on planet Earth, and that's, that's a lot of clutter, that's a lot of stuff, that's a lot of people. Um, uh, Kylie, does, in, amidst of all of this content, does God know me personally? 
Uh, the Bible shows that he does. He does know us personally. And what's perhaps even more amazing than the fact that God is our creator is that the Bible also presents him as something else. Let's just have a look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so... Um, and so, um, and so we see a lot of suffering in this world, but that's not what God's plan actually was originally. And through Christ, um, he promises to make us into a new creation. And so he knows each of us individually. In fact, in Psalm 139, um, let's just turn to Psalm 139. And verses 16 and 17, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. And so God, God created us individually. He knows us as individuals. And that's wonderful. It shows yeah. that he's not just an impersonal God mm. who set the universe in motion and he's just left. He's interested in mm. our own individual mm. lives. Uh, so, uh, John, if God is a loving God, we look at the, the world around us and we see lots of suffering and death. How do we explain this? Very simple, really. We don't like accepting it, but it's, it's simple. We are born sinners. My father and mother were sinners. I'm a sinner. My wife is. Our children are. And so here, what the Apostle Paul said in, in Romans Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because we have all of us have sinned. And as a result, we suffer. Mm -hmm. So death came through sin and sin was human disobedience. So there is no such thing as a natural disaster being an act of, of God. Uh, Kylie, is, is God happy with the way things are on earth right now with all of this pain and suffering? So if we look a little bit further through this passage uh, that John was, John just read Romans 5 verse 12. So if we look at verses 18 and 19, um, we find out God's view on this. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So in Adam, we, you know, are because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are naturally attracted to sin, but through Christ, he gives us another chance. He gives us another option. And verse 19 says, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So through Christ, um, as we were reading before, we can be that new creation if we accept his gift. And so that's essentially the gospel that Jesus mm. says, God has sent his son Jesus to step into the world to make it right, to, to bring it back to how it had been before. Mm. And um, when we hear the word judgment, we normally become scared. We think of a court um, sentencing us to prison or something like that. John, um, is there a reason why the believer has to fear the judgment? 
we don't have to fear the judgment because God has made the provision for us. The Apostle Paul, and remember that he wasn't such a good man at the beginning of his life, he said, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus, who work not, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When Jesus comes into our life, then we change. Amen. And, you know, that's, that's good news. That's good news for me to yes. know that um, there could become a difference in my life when I invite Jesus in. And that's the gospel. The gospel always has to be good news for those who are saved because he paid the price and it's through his obedience we, we get to heaven. Now, we reference, we read, Kylie read uh, Colossians 1.16 uh, in, earlier in the program, and we see in this verse Jesus being critically involved in creation, very hands-on. John, how does Jesus then repair that brokenness? You know, how does he actually, what does he actually do to, to fix the brokenness? Yes, Paul explains it very well when in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, which came first, <laughs> It says, in whom, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. Now, this is known by theologians as the Levitical formula. The Levitical formula is that you have the sacrifice, its blood is shed, the priest takes that to the temple, and the sinner goes away free. And, and here, we find that it was Jesus who did that. Mm-hmm. He shed his blood so that we could go free. So he created it, and when it, was, it became broken, he stepped in. He stepped and in he and repaired it. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's wonderful. Mm. Okay, so Kylie, um, going back to evolution, if, if evolution is, is true, how is the gospel uh, impacted? Yeah, so let's have a look at 1 Corinthians Uh, 15 and verse 45, it says here, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So if we believe in evolution, um, there's, there's death right from the beginning and there's no story of, you know, a perfect world and then the fall into sin. Without that the gospel makes just absolutely no sense whatsoever. There's no first Adams, there can't be a second Adam. And it just, it completely negates the gospel. And yeah. so that's where the, the message of that first angel becomes important mm-hmm. because right there in that first angel's message, we have uh, the creation, we have uh, the gospel, mm. we have judgment, all inextricably linked uh, uh, together and um, it shows that if there isn't any creation, then the gospel becomes irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at many places of worship, actually today, uh, John, we see the cross featured. Um, it's featured in in songs. You know, it's featured on steeples of uh, places of worship, and some even wear a cross around uh, on their body, around their necks, and so forth. Why do Christians make the cross to be something so wonderful when it is actually an instrument of torture and death? When you look at the record that John wrote about the, the death of Christ, it's very sad, really, but it has magnificent results. 
Here in John chapter 19, verse 29 and 30. Now the vessel was full of sour wine, was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to Christ's mouth. Here was the God who had created water mm-hmm. is given a poison to drink on the cross and he refused to take it. And then it goes on. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The very one who had breathed life into the nose of our first father, Adam, Mm -hmm. here this man, he, this God, let breath go out of him Mm. and he died. Mm. And the one who made the water and the one who put breath in is the one who gives us life again. Mm-hmm. And could that be the reason why Christians is a very famous hymn that I sung, sung in Christian churches, you know, I will cherish the old rugged, the old rugged cross, cross yes. uh, because something that is so ugly uh, as an instrument of death yeah. um, has to be cherished because it is where God demonstrated his love. When we are suffering persecution, just remember that we have a wonderful, amazing God that allowed himself Mm. to be persecuted as well. That's yeah. right. And he experienced the same sufferings as yes. us. You know, he, he got thirsty. He yeah. became thirsty and hungry yes. like we do. And I think it's, it's important that these two um, actions uh, are recorded in John's gospel and what happened to Jesus on the cross, the, the thirst, because this first angel message in uh, Revelation 4, 14, 7, uh, calls us to worship the creator. And we discover that Jesus... Uh, is creator um, and worship him as creator, worship the one who created the springs of water. Mm. And here he was allowing himself, even though he had the power to get off that cross, being thirsty and being offered vinegar, something bitter to drink. Um, And uh, being the creator who formed man from the dust of the ground. Uriah. And allowing himself to surrender his life and die. Uriah, Christ was nailed to the cross made from a tree that God had created. Mm. So Kylie, how do we respond to such love? Uh, Yeah, what response can we give? Um, So we we can't give much, but in Revelation 3 and verse 20, there's a wonderful invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So we have to open the door. God will not force us to do that. He gives us free choice. Wonderful. And it's a wonderful thing that he's given this invitation to anyone. Everyone. That's all we have time for. And thank you very much for your discussion today. True worship, the worship of the creator, enables us to discover life's true purpose. It gives us a reason for living. It gives us not only something to die for, but also even more significantly, something to live for. We are glad that you've joined us today on Let God Speak. 
Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available for download on our website 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.